Well, if you've journeyed with us, we're about to come to the end of a two-year journey through the book of Genesis. Uh, We started almost exactly two years ago, and apart from a handful of Sunday nights when either somebody else has been teaching because I've been somewhere, um, we're, we're in our hundredth study here in the book of Genesis. We're getting towards the end, and tonight, chapter 47, and so if you'd turn there, and as we conclude the book of Genesis, it really is the story of the children of Israel uh, coming into existence. And so we now have the 12 sons, they're in Egypt, and they're going to begin this sojourn. This sojourn will lead to uh, 400-year captivity eventually of the children of Israel that will uh, conclude with the exodus. And so uh, we find this incredible picture, finally, of this family getting it and really beginning to walk with the Lord. And there's some subtleties in chapter 47 that I find wonderful for me personally. And here's why. Very often in our journey, and in our walk with the Lord, we go through kind of ups and downs. And sometimes there's more ups and sometimes there's more downs. And sometimes there's periods of down that last a while. And sometimes there's periods of up that lasts for a while but one thing is consistent and that is God is faithful amen and we see the faithfulness of the Lord even in a situation that if you really wanted to look at it the children of Israel really shouldn't be in this situation in the first place and the reason that they're in it is their own doing they're they're not here by accident or circumstance They have literally been part of the cause, the reason, if you will, that famine has come into the land. I mean, God's had his hand on them the whole time. But they have been disobedient. They've been rebellious. They have not done things God's way. And yet at the same time, we see God being faithful when people are faithless. And I love that truth about God. Because if his faithfulness was dependent solely on our faithfulness, most of us would be in a faith deficit most of the time. Amen? And so we see the faithfulness of the Lord and we see life in Egypt uh, for the children of Israel, the beginning uh, of of the children's time there before they're going to be delivered um, from the Exodus in in the book of Exodus. And so would you pray? And we'll pick up in verse 1. And we'll take the whole chapter again tonight. Father, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness when we are faithless. Lord, as you wrote through the Apostle Paul to his young understudy, Timothy, God, you indeed, when we are not being faithful, you still are. You may withhold goodness from us. You may withhold blessing. You may teach us a lesson. But behind those lessons is a faithful God that has his hands upon his children at all times. And so, God, we thank you for that and pray that you'd speak to us now through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 here in Genesis 47. And then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks, their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan and indeed are in the land of Goshen. And so... Remember, the promise was made to them, and at the conclusion of chapter 46 that we saw last time, Joseph comes to them and says, look, when you get before Pharaoh, you might want to leave the whole shepherd thing out of your conversation, because shepherds are despised here in the land of Egypt, and so now they've gone back to to Canaan, they have retrieved basically their families, their flocks, and they've come back to Egypt And now they're going to appear finally before Pharaoh. And they have begun to dwell in the land of Goshen. And there are all kinds of different understandings of what the land of Goshen is. But the most universal understanding is really the Nile River Delta. And the first hundred or so miles of the Nile River itself. And if you know anything about Egyptology and the study of the land of Egypt and the Pharaohs. Basically once you descend to where the modern day Aswan Dam is. Uh, down along the Nile, uh, you, you, once you get past that, it is pretty much desert. But up to that point, along the banks of the Nile, fairly fertile, and especially in the Delta, it was a farming area. 
And it is in that region that you have the Valley of Kings, you have the Valley of uh, the Tombs of Egypt, uh, you have the ancient city of Karnak. And so if you look in the background of these PowerPoint slides, you're actually looking at the Hyperstyle Hall, which is at the city of Karnak, which was built um, chiefly and primarily by Ramses II, and that is believed to be the Ramses that's mentioned in this passage. And so this is a real place. There is real evidence that the Egyptians dwelled there. There are real Egyptian, or excuse me, there's real Israeli or, or Jewish people that lived in that region that were slaves. We have all kinds of archaeological evidence. And so here's this place that the children of Israel have come to that is really being governed by the world. And it's our life in this world. Our, our life, though we are of the Lord, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. This world is not our home. We are kind of in enemy territory the whole time we're here. And we go through those cycles of ups and downs and good and bad and things happening in our lives. Our goal as believers is to continually always serve and represent the Lord. Verse 2. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh And we have no reason why five, and we do not know which five. But we do know that God works in mysterious ways, and he uses even this group of five to speak the truth to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And I want you to see something. So what we've seen up to this point is largely that every time this family gets into a tight spot, the first thing they do is begin to bend the truth a little bit. And you can kind of see they've come a long ways. They finally get it. And notice what they said. What is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds. Both we and also our fathers. When you can tell the absolute truth in the face of the opposition of the world, you know that you're in a good place with the Lord. When you can just open up your mouth and say it as it is, and notice they're not being mean-spirited about it, they're not being boastful about it, but they're being absolutely truthful about who they are. And in this picture is a picture of all of us, because this is a place where we need, generally speaking, to grow a little bit, most of us, in our walks with the Lord. And that is, are we going to be truthful in the face of adversity? Or are we going to walk back who we are in Christ? Are we going to kind of pull away from the fact that this is who I am, this is what I am, this is how God has made me, and and try and fit into the world? You see, it would have been really easy in this moment in time for them to say something else. Almost anything else. We're farmers. They could have even said that we we herd livestock. We're animal husband uh, type people. we, We do something, but to say shepherds, Uh, is is putting them in essence in in harm's way with Pharaoh and yet that's what they are and they admit it and if you ever want to get past something in your life you have to tell God exactly what you are and admit it to him and just say this is who I am deal with me according to who I am and he said to Pharaoh remember that shepherds are despised you can see it there in verse 31 of chapter 46 and they said to Pharaoh we've come to dwell in the land Because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. They admit who they are, and they're not afraid to ask. They are willing to say, look, this is is who we are, and this is what we need. And Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land and let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Even the world takes notice of people who are truthful, honest, forthright, and willing to say exactly what's on their mind, exactly what's on their heart, in a way that it can be received and as I said, you, you could have almost looked at this situation and go, well, we'll just tell them almost anything. We don't have to give them the whole truth. But they do. They give them the truth about who they are. And the truth of the matter is we all live in the world. And you're going to have situations and circumstances where you're going to be 
in the situation where it is in your best interest, maybe financially, or your best interest on a home loan, or your best interest on a car loan, or your best interest in some area of life, living, or business to where you might be tempted to compromise. And I think the lesson is here, trust God and tell the truth. Whatever it is, it is. And let God be your defense. Let God stand before you. Because here's what happens, and you're going to see this as we progress through this chapter. When you begin with the truth, you don't have anything to cover up. You don't have anything to deal with later. You don't have anything to massage. You don't have anything to, you know, walk back, as we, we use in our English language. You don't have something you need to change in order to uh, make it fit the situation at a later time. The truth is always the truth. And if you'll simply tell the truth, then you're always on the right footing with God. And so the first thing that we see here is Egypt's Pharaoh and Joseph's brother. This is, this is what life is going to be like for them. Jacob's sons had brought their flocks and herds, and it, and it shows that, that they weren't afraid to, to go into enemy territory. And I think sometimes in our own walk, we, we kind of almost give the world more credit than it's due, and we forget who our God is and how big he is how powerful he is, what he can do. He can change the heart of Pharaoh. He can change the heart of presidents. He can change the heart of governors. He can move on our behalf. And it doesn't mean that we abandon our position in life and living, but it means that we're people of truth first. And we do what God calls us to do. And then we let the Lord sort out the details. When we give God the opportunity uh, to use our lives because we're people of truth, even the heathens in this world will take notice. And in this case, that's exactly what Pharaoh does. Notice that Pharaoh instantaneously does not react negatively to what is potentially negative information. We're shepherds. He could have said, well, we don't need any more shepherds. Matter of fact, you're an abomination. You guys can all take off. Go die someplace. I don't want to see you. They, they risk that by telling the truth but they put themselves in the hand of God by telling the truth which one do you want do you want the world with a lie or do you want God with the truth that's going to be your position pretty much every single day that you're on this earth you're going to be in a situation where you could compromise that's exactly the testimony that Paul gave to Timothy there in first Timothy 3 speaking of those of us in leadership in the church but applies really to all of us if you want to be an elder you want to be a pastor you want to be in leadership in in ministry verse 7 there in first timothy 3 says moreover you must have a good testimony among those who are outside you know it's one thing for us to have a good testimony inside the church because we're all believers and we cut each other a little bit of slack and we all speak the same language we're speaking christian in that sense you know, we walk up to somebody and you, you go, you know, praise the Lord, brother. We know what that means, amen? But when you say that to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, they're like, the Lord who? You know, are you talking about somebody in England? Is that a monarch that I'm supposed to know? You know, what do you, you know, we speak Christian, but the world doesn't speak Christian. And so we're tempted sometimes in the world to start speaking world to them. And the lesson here is speak for the Lord in the world and the world will take notice and there's an interesting warning that comes there at the end of verse 7 in first timothy 3 and it says lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil in other words when i don't have a good reputation outside when we don't carry what we believe inside the church outside the church walls and live that out in public life then people see those differences in our character that are lived inside the church versus outside the church, and pretty soon God gets blamed for that. And then they don't want anything to do with our God. And so we are to have the same reputation, a good reputation, a faithful reputation, uh, when we are outside of the four walls of the church and in the world in that sense. The next thing that we can see in this is Egypt's Pharaoh and Joseph's father because uh, Joseph's father is going to be Jacob or Israel as he's now known. Verse 7 goes on to say, And then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh 
And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And you're, you're probably scratching your head going, why would he do that? Why would you bless a heathen uh, Pharaoh? Why, why would you, this is a man who more than likely worships Ra, the sun god. Horus, the god of the underworld. He is almost assuredly, in that sense, a pagan. And while he may be a Hiskos king, he, he might be uh, partially related in some way, shape, or form, the bottom line is, is he is, is not part of the family, if you will, in that sense. But Jacob blesses Pharaoh, and I think there's a, there's a word for us in this. We, we have been called to pray for those that are our leaders, and many of them do not know the Lord. And it's pretty clear they don't know the Lord. Or they may tell you that they know the Lord, but their actions say something different. The bottom line is, we have been called to bless those who are over us. Because ultimately, we all stand and fall together. And when we pray for our leaders, we're getting the best we can possibly get, even out of a leader that doesn't know the Lord. And so sometimes when I, when I hear people talking uh, in a negative light about our leaders excessively. And, and while it's okay for us to call out the faults and look at laws and go, you know, we really need to do something about that and vote a different direction, that, that's a completely different issue. But we should try and bless those who lead us, even if they do not know the Lord. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of my years of pilgrimage have been 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And I have not attained to the days of the years of, my li- of, of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before him. And so we have a picture of a man standing before Pharaoh. And the first thing that Jacob does here is to bless Pharaoh. And the second thing that he does is to bless Pharaoh. You kind of get the picture. It's like he understands that he's not in the situation simply because Pharaoh is part of the world. He's in this situation because of his own problems that he's had throughout his life. And in fact, even admits the fact that he has not lived as long as, as Isaac or Abraham, either one. And I think he's a great example of all of us as true believers in that sense. And if you want to flip over to First Peter chapter 2, we can take a look at it. Verse 11, we'll begin there. Because we actually really have to look at it the same way that Jacob is speaking about it here. And that is we on this earth are pilgrims. We are sojourners. The reason we just covered in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this whole issue of us dwelling in tents and one day our tents are going to get rolled up and and we're going to go home to heaven is this world is not our home. While we're here, we're stuck in mortal bodies. Uh, We have carnal abilities we have the definitely a sin nature still we still have the capacity to sin and so we are sojourners we're we're kind of if you will we're bedouins in this life we we dwell in tents Uh, we don't have a permanent home our permanent home or here on this earth but our permanent home is in heaven verse 11 there in first peter chapter 2 it says beloved i beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That word Gentiles is another word for unbelievers, people that don't know the Lord or aren't walking with them. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, they may say bad things. They may make accusations, but they're going to be proven false by the way we live our lives. By what we do in this world. And this is exactly what is finally happening in the life of this family that we will eventually call the children of Israel. Verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good. And so Peter giving us a little lesson here. While our leaders may not know the Lord, we are still subject to them. And if we really want to honor the Lord, we need to honor our leaders. And that means, number one, praying for them. 
It actually bothers me fairly significantly when I hear people in, in either side, doesn't matter which side of the aisle that you sit on, say, well, I'm not going to pray for him. He's a heathen. That is not only ungodly, it's dumb. And here's why it's dumb and also ungodly. Because those rulers are our rulers. And you have a choice to either pray for them and watch God work in their life, be changed, transformed, moved by the power of prayer, or you can just let them continue to do what they're doing, which is pretty clearly not going to be of the Lord. And so the one tool that we have that they cannot do a thing about, which is prayer, is exactly what we should be doing, whether we agree with them or do not agree with them. Pray for them anyway. We need to pray for our our pharaohs in that sense. Notice what it says in verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And while I'll be the first one to admit, there are a lot of things that go on in our nation that need the attention of the Lord. No question about it. I, like the rest of us probably in this room, are hoping one day that we see an end to abortion on demand. I'm praying for equality across the spectrum of all races and creeds, socioeconomic statuses, and all other things. Someday, maybe we're going to get there. I am praying that that our government doesn't get us into another foolish war. There's all kinds of things we can look at and go, we have a personal opinion one way or another. But the fact of the matter is, I'm supposed to pray for those people who've been placed over us. Period. That's what God wants us to do. Not just simply complain about them, bellyache about them, call them names, and do exactly what the world does, which is to react in a way that's ungodly. We have to be godly about what we do. And it clearly says that in doing so, we put to silence ignorance, the ignorance of foolish men, as free. Not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. And that last little phrase means to honor Pharaoh. And that's exactly what Jacob is doing. Doesn't mean that we agree with everything Pharaoh does. Doesn't mean we want to pass laws that are ungodly. We want to vote against laws that are ungodly. But once that person is in office, once they have been installed, 1 Corinthians reminds us, as does Romans chapter 13, that those rulers have been put there not because of any other reason than God has a plan to use them for our good. So be careful. Careful about what you say and be careful about what you do. Because the world is watching. We're supposed to be a great example to Pharaoh. Pharaoh should know there's something different about us. I had a young man in his 20s come and he was asking me about a couple of political things here locally. And I said, yeah, I have an opinion. And I think that our leaders currently are wrong on those issues. And he goes, well, you know, shouldn't we, you know, engage in all kinds of protests and those types of things? And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, we, you know, we could, we could put up signs and banners. I said, where are you going to put them? He said, well, we just plaster them all over the buildings and do whatever. I said, you realize that's illegal, right? And he says, well, so what? And I said, by doing something illegal, you hope to change the mind of somebody who already thinks we're nuts, Right? Well, yeah. So you might want to think about that. You might want to just give honor to the king and do things in a way that the Lord receives the glory and the honor for it. Like I didn't share it with everybody. We already had a little video clip this morning. We actually got cited by the city of Gardena for putting flyers on the cars in the city of Gardena parking lot. It's illegal. You cannot do that. So when the police officer goes and takes all those off and it says Calvary Chapel South Bay on there, guess who gets the the trouble? The Lord. We want to honor God by honoring those that have been placed over us. 
We can go get a permit to do that. The bottom line is people are going to take those and throw them away anyway. That's what happens when you do those things in those areas. How much more effect would the body of Christ have if we stopped shouting insults, basically shooting at the lost, and actually honored and loved on them? What do you think would happen? And I don't mean cave in to evil. I just simply mean change the tactics, the way that we do things. How we talk in the public. What we do with that voice that we have in the world. Instead of screaming and yelling at people, as is unfortunately often the case, rather sitting down and trying to change how they think by living our own lives differently and speaking with compassion, understanding they don't understand. In spite of all of his failings, and every person in here has got some of them, myself included, Wherever Jacob did the right thing, he brought God's blessing. Wherever Jacob did the right thing, he brought God's blessing. And I think it's a word for us. If we'll do the right thing, we can expect God to take care of the the results of whatever it is that's going on. And while we're here, just as Hebrews 11 reminds us, that hall of faith, we're going to be strangers, we're going to be pilgrims, we're going to be journeying, sojourning in in a land that is not the land that we're going to ultimately end up inheriting. And so we need to remember that we are, we are to be a witness while we're here. And Jacob finally gets that picture. And, and for me, it just so shows the faithfulness of the Lord. He uses an interesting word. He says his, his years have been evil. And, and it actually isn't evil as the King James translated or even the, the New King James does the same thing. It doesn't actually imply wickedness. It implies misery. It implies distress. It implies he's had problems. There's been a lot of stuff that's been going on in his life. And he's actually admitting the fact uh, that there's been some stuff in his life that shouldn't have been there. Jacob's life had been quite difficult but he is going to get about 17 years of peace and happiness at the end of his life. Uh, and during that time, we're going to see the Lord work and, and really redeem this whole mess that's been uh, his life of uh, being a heel catcher, a deceiver. The next thing that we see is being a great example. And then we see Egypt's Pharaoh and the rest of the people. Verse 11 And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them possession of the land of Egypt in the best of the land, means Goshen, and in the land of Ramses, as the Pharaoh had commanded. And so this is undoubtedly the the Nile River Valley. It's more than likely the area that goes out to the Mediterranean Sea, which would include the Nile River uh, Delta itself, which is the most fertile ground. And then Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all of his father's household with bread, according to the number of their families. Now, I want you to see something as we transition through most of the rest of this, this chapter. They are actually going into Egypt as strangers and pilgrims, effectively second-class citizens. They're not Egyptians. But I want you to see what happens when you're faithful to God even in a bad situation in the world. Now there was no bread in all of the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So the famine's the same in both places, amen? So if they'd have stayed in Canaan, it would not have mattered. The only difference is in staying in Canaan, they would have been without the resources of Egypt. And when I hear sometimes of people say, well, you know, I'm not going to buy this because a heathen owns it. Or I'm not going to eat this because a heathen made it. Or I'm not going to do this because it's owned by a heathen corporation. Or I'm going to boycott this because some heathen touched it or some heathen shipped it. Or some heathen had it on a truck or some heathen served it. You might want to remember this passage. 
Because if you're looking to have only things that have been touched by holy people, make sure you don't touch anything. (laughs) Because we all have our issues. People in the world will always do what the world does. And we are in this world, we're just not of it. And so you cannot fix every single deficiency of the world by simply boycotting Pharaoh. It doesn't work. It'll never work. I had a company that came in and they promised me uh, when I was still at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, we were looking for a couple of investment options for some of the church's excess resources and we came upon this, this fund and they promised to be accurate in that everything that this company was invested in was going to be holy and honorable to the Lord. And and I thought to myself and go, well, this will be interesting. I'll go ahead and read their prospectus. So I read through this prospectus and I get in and there's every major drug company and they produce anti, they, they produce abortion equipment. They produce abortion drugs. There's all kinds of opiates and everything else that's in this, this whole package of stuff. And I said, well, what about this? And they said, well, well, you know, how are you going to do, how are you going to filter out all those drugs? How are they going to make any money? I said, yeah, well, that's kind of why I'm asking you the question. If you have any money invested anywhere in the world, in anything that even remotely looks like a mutual fund, you were invested in something in the world that is not good. I can tell you that emphatically. There is no way to withdraw yourself out, but there is a way for you to be a standard of holiness yourself personally in this world. Because everything in this world is attached to the, to the world system. God's not going to hold you accountable for every single piece of bread to ask yourself, well, you know, was the grain farmed by a Christian farmer? If you go farm to table with anything, forget it. Just stop eating, die right now. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan. For the grain which they brought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And so he's kind of pooling all the resources, doing a little socialist experiment right here. Not saying we should do that, by the way, I'm against it. And so when the money failed in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph. And this is where it starts getting really hilarious. Because guess who's affected? Everybody. When the economy's good, everybody benefits. When the economy's bad, everybody is at a deficit and a detriment. We're all in it together. The, the system of this world is so interconnected that whether you're an Egyptian and someone from the land of Canaan or whether you're an American and someone from China, you're still interconnected in what we would call a, a global economy. It's nearly impossible to complete, pull yourself out unless you want to go subsistence farm someplace in the northern reaches of Montana where it's 50 below during the winter and warms up to 65 during the summer. They came to Joseph and said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. And Joseph said, give your livestock and I'll give bread for your livestock if the money is gone. I want you to see how God's working this whole thing out for the good of his people. Who's asking for this benefit now? It's the Egyptians, isn't it? And they're going to give over all their livestock to whom? to Joseph they're going to actually end up being in debt to the very people that will ultimately end up in slavery because of their own silliness and so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses and the flocks and of the cattle and the herds and for the donkeys and thus fed them with the bread in exchange for all of their livestock that year and when that year had ended they came to him the next year and said to him We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. 
that my Lord also has our herds of livestock and there's nothing left in the sight of my Lord except our bodies and our lands. It is getting better for God's people and it is getting worse for people in the world. And yet they're in enemy territory. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land. Buy us and our land for bread. It gets even worse. First it's our livestock, their possessions, and now they're selling themselves. God has a sense of humor, amen? You, 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 have, you have Joseph who was sold into this position of slavery by his own family, who's been so fully redeemed that he now is controlling everybody in the land of Egypt. This is what God can do. This is what God does do when we're walking right with him. By us and our land for bread. And we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die and the land may not be desolate. And then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold this field because of the famine that was so severe upon them. And so the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into cities, one in the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of priests did he not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations, which Pharaoh gave them, and therefore they did not sell their lands. But Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh, and look, there's seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it came to pass in the harvest that you will give one-fifth to Pharaoh and four-fifths shall be yours and the seed for your field and for your food and those of your household. And as for the food for your little ones. And so they said, you have saved our lives. They have just sold everything they own at a bargain price and they're now indebted to Joseph and they're happy about it. When you trust God, God can do miracles. He can turn things around so fast that, it, that it, it boggles our minds. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law of the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. And Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt in the country of Goshen. So here's the people who live in the land, the citizens of the land, who are in need, and they are selling everything they have, including themselves, to Pharaoh. And the children of Israel, who actually came as servants, are now living in the best land. Check this out. And they had possessions and grew and multiplied exceedingly. That's God's economy 101. That's how, that's how God sees the entire universe. It's all his. Everything is his. And what he wants to do with it, he's more than capable of getting done. And while it didn't look like this was going to work out for the children of Israel, what's happening to them, and we actually find out early in the book of Exodus, while they're there, they're actually multiplying in number. What was part of the Abrahamic covenant? I will multiply you and make you a great nation. I will make you as numerous as the sands of the sea. And while they got there by a nefarious means, and while they got there in destitution and need and want, and while they got there in the midst of something you would call a tragedy, a famine, while they were there in that land, God was still being faithful to do exactly what he said he would do for the descendants of Abraham. That's our faithful God. That's who he is at his core. The children of Israel are, are being fruitful. They're multiplying. They're increasing abundantly. And yes, they are going to be mistreated once again. And in that mistreatment, God is going to be faithful. By the time Moses leads the nation out, the Jews likely numbered uh, close to two million people. They had become so numerous that they became, became a problem for Pharaoh. Pharaoh would ultimately be glad to see them go. And so there's some final lessons that we can learn here from this story. 
Proverbs 21.1 says the, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. I behoove us to remember that in our day and time. Because there's a lot of negativity and a lot of really vehement speech that, that frankly doesn't really solve anything. It does get people stirred up, makes them angry, but doesn't really change anything. And I think sometimes we take some of that speech and just direct it towards the Lord and say, Lord, you know the exact situation. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's what I believe. You really need to work on the hearts of our kings. <laughs> you need to work in the White House. You need to work in the state house you you need to work in congress you you need to work lord in this world because we're suffering here and it's unjustly we want you to take care of it. i think if we directed some of our speech that way and our time that way i think we'd see a different result i'm not saying that you shouldn't be active in any way shape or form politically but i am saying are you most active in praying to the king of kings and to the lord of lords because I know Christians that aren't. And they end up very, very, very unhappy and disillusioned with the way things are going in the world. Look, let me be honest. This world's a mess. I'll tell you straight up, there's a lot of things for us to dislike about this world. But the fact of the matter is, God is up to the task of changing anything that we will ask him to change if we will continue to just simply serve him while we're in the midst of these difficult times. I think too many Christians believe that, that, he can, that God can only use people who are believers in positions of authority. And that just simply isn't the, the, the course of history. We see God using Pharaoh. We're, we're going to see God using pagan kings in the story of Daniel. We're, we're going to see Cyrus the Mede used. We're going to see Augustus Caesar. We're going to see Nebuchadnezzar. God, God is the God of everything. He, he's the ruler of the entire universe, ultimately. And God had worked out his plan throughout this story. And so we can kind of see a couple of things here in, in what remains. And even though Pharaoh's a pagan ruler, absolutely worship false gods, do we have some pagan rulers who worship false gods in our government? We, sure we do. We absolutely do. They don't love the Lord. And they do pretty much anything they want to do, and most of it doesn't, isn't pleasing to God. But don't make the mistake of believing that they're bigger than God. And so ask God to change them. Vote correctly to get that done. But don't think that God can't get it done. Continue to leave God God. Exactly as Paul wrote to Timothy, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. He can't deny himself. God's got a great opinion on all things. And he's going to be right 100% of the time. Just find out what that is and join God in that fight. Verse 28, and Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. And so the length of Jacob's life will be 147 years. And when time drew near that Israel must die. Again, back, he's gone back and forth. Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel, Jacob, Israel, governed by God and heel catcher. He called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. And please do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers. You'll carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. And so Israel bowed himself on the head of his bed and Pharaoh must have been anxious. You can almost, you can almost imagine uh, to, to see this, this family react this way. You mean out of all the things you're going to do, you're going to carry your bones of your father out of this land and into his, into his homeland. And you might, some people would be looking, well, he's, you know, he's making a mistake here. He's making a, you know, a promise. What was going to happen to, you know, were they going to desecrate his body or something there in the land of Egypt? Jacob was a pilgrim for God. And it was God's duty to get him home. And one day he was going to be a home for his descendants. That was part of the promise. We're going to see that in chapter 49. And it was promised all the way back in chapter 23. 
But Jacob's desire here is his funeral wouldn't be here in this land, some type of a, you know, a pagan ceremony. He says, would you, would you make sure that God is glorified, so bury me in the land of Canaan. And I think there's a little bit of a, a word for us there. Make sure that uh, when you're in those situations, you honor the Lord. You know, every once in a while, um, I'll do a memorial service, and usually when there's a family that knows the Lord involved in it, they'll actually ask, well, can you kind of share the gospel, but you know, be a little bit careful. We'll have people there that don't know the Lord. We don't want them to think they're, they're being beat on. But inevitably, you, you mention the Lord Jesus, somebody who doesn't know the Lord, uh, they, they usually say some pretty crazy things. Like, you know, what are you doing sharing this Jesus guy at this funeral? This is supposed to be a, you know, a solemn occasion. How dare you bring the gospel into this? Well, when somebody's gone... That's going to be the last opportunity you have to speak about the Lord Jesus in that situation. So you might want to take advantage of it. And and I see Joseph saying, look, when you die, Dad, we're going to make sure everybody knows that you love God. And we're going to carry your bones all the way back to Canaan. So that when someone sees what we're doing, they're going to give honor to, to our God. I think we should follow that example. We should give honor to the Lord in all that we do and all that we say. We need to live our lives that way. And so Jacob plans to, to, to be buried, if you will, back in Canaan. When you think about these, these last couple of chapters, God is setting up, in essence, an understanding for us of his faithfulness and how he uses bad things that happen to good people for good purposes ultimately and that he does have it under control no matter what you're going through in life. And so I want to remind you, you know, sometimes we, we read these very long chapters towards the end of the book of Genesis and we kind of, you know, we, we normally take them as a story because they're written like that. It's pretty easy uh, to see why we're covering large amounts of scripture at this point in time. There's not direct application in every single word for every single person that's in here. But in a general sense, what we're finding out is the world is no match for our God. That faith overcomes fear all the time. That when we lean on God, we're going to find that he's worthy of being leaned on. That he's not going to forsake us. He's not going to leave us. He, he isn't going to get, into the, get us into situations that he's not more than able to deliver us from. That ultimately, exactly as scripture says... Your Bible says that the gold of the wicked is reserved for the righteous. You can actually see that in this chapter. Because here, here's all the Egyptians are coming to the, the Jewish leader who's second in command to Pharaoh saying, look, you can have everything. We willingly submit to you. And the very people that God wants to, to lift up and save, he lifts up and saves and prospers even in a foreign land. And so never underestimate God's ability to take care of you. If you look like you're taking a journey to Egypt, God's still going with you into Egypt. If you don't have to go to Egypt, by all means, don't go to Egypt. But if you go to Egypt because there's no other way, you know, your, your family's in that situation, you can be sure that God's going to Egypt too because he's your personal savior. He's your personal Lord. He is personally able to see you through those difficult times. God is faithful. Even when we live in Egypt. Amen? Just stand and we'll pray together. Father, we thank you for the lessons of this chapter and Lord, as I was reading this this afternoon, I was just reminded of the need that we have to pray for our president and our senators, Lord, House of Representatives, our governor, our state legislature. Lord, so many laws are being pushed around every single day, and so many of them, like the one that we face even now, God, that is taking the right of us as parents and giving it to teachers to tell our children about human sexuality God that's not pleasing to you it's not your plan 
But Lord, we actually believe that you're stronger than the governor. You're stronger than the state legislature. You're stronger even than the laws, the Ninth Circuit Court. You're even above the Supreme Court of this great land. And so God, we we lift them up to you. We pray that you'd change their hearts. You'd soften the hearts, Lord, of those that rule over us, that your voice can be spoken. We pray for our president. He spent uh, part of yesterday or this morning in North Korea, a country, God, that is so oppressed. People are so maltreated. And, and Lord, we just ask that um, you, you might use him even to deliver, Lord, those people out of that bondage. God, that you'd save them from it, that the gospel might be preached. The gospel is hindered in that land. And so, Lord, we, we lift up these that rule over us, and we ask that you would uh, spare them, God, from their, their own paths and that you would deliver us out of the hand of the wicked one and put us in the land of Goshen. Lord, we want to walk in that fertile river valley, Lord, and in the land of promise. And, and we just know that unless we lift up our leaders to you, it's not going to happen. And so, Lord, please, you change what needs to be changed. And Lord, those that you don't want in power, you remove them. Those that you do, exalt them, Lord. Bring them into prominence and power. And so, Lord, we thank you for the example that's in this chapter, and we pray uh, that you would raise up a standard of holiness over our nation as we uh, celebrate this week, our Independence Day. Uh, Lord, our nation has not been without faults, isn't without weaknesses. Lord, we've been through so many things that don't honor you, Lord, there's still remnants of, of sinful behavior all over this land. And God, there's some new fresh ones that have even been invented in the last 50 years. And we pray that, God, one day when the trumpet sounds and we were alive and remain, fly off to meet you in the air, that perhaps because of our prayer, this place would be uh, a ready for a revival. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would make it so even now. Pour out your spirit in these last days, Lord. Call men unto yourself. Make us holy as you are holy. And give us a heart after your own heart. And Lord, always let us be a witness of righteousness before this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.